movement, believe it or not. That's just life. But our God, He is a rock. And His word never wavers. And the governor's statewide mandatory quarantine is going into effect as you watch this. But friends, that does not change God's word in the slightest. And it doesn't change tonight's sermon. This passage, Acts chapter 27, uh, verses 1 uh, through 25, was chosen long ago. Before anyone around here was worried about the virus, um, before businesses started closing their doors, before people started, you know, streaming into Costco and losing their minds. Um, Long ago, God spoke this word and put it into your leaders' hearts to preach on it this very night. Um, Although what Paul and his companions went through on their frightful voyage was a hundred times worse uh, than what we're facing The parallels between that story and these times are quite eerie. So as you listen to the story, be impressed and be encouraged and feel blessed that your heavenly father would send you such a timely word in your time of need. As the psalmist sings, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So Acts chapter 27 And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So, entering a ship of Adriatum, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off of uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete, But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clada, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When we had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the citrus sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, 
All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of this ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Uh So, in this text, you have Paul and his companions. They're entering the ship. And being put under the charge of Julius, this uh, Roman officer who, who treats Paul kindly. And things, you know, are going along. But before long, they took a turn for the worse. The weather turns. Sailing becomes rough. They have to start taking precautions and abandon the open sea in favor of the slower but safer coastal routes. In verse 6, they switch to a great big wheat ship sailing from Egypt to Italy. But even then the winds are relentless and blow against them and their progress is made very slow and difficult. And after many days, they finally reach a half-decent harbor where they can take a break. And their break turns into a long stay because the weather is not letting up at all. Things aren't looking good. They're on a journey. They got a plan. They got a place to go. But it's not working out. A storm arises on the sea. The winds are howling in their face. They just can't make any progress. In verse 9, it says the sailing was now dangerous. It's the time of year when sailing stops for the winter. It's no longer safe at all to be out in the open sea. At this point in the story, the guys in charge, they hold a meeting and they decide what they're going to do. And Paul speaks up the prisoner, oddly enough, and advises them to winter where they're at and not risk going any further. And he says, basically, guys, if we set sail now, it's not going to be pretty. We're going to lose the cargo and the ship and probably our lives as well. Now, it's quite out of the, con- out of the ordinary to have a prisoner advising his guards. Um, but that's what we see here. And naturally, they don't listen to him. The word of the captain, the word of the owner, the word of the centurion outweighs Paul's warning. And it says that the majority advised to set sail. The majority. Bit of a side note, but the the majority is not always right. Right? The majority is against Christ. This is something every Christian must be aware of constantly. The world is contrary to the mind of Jesus. His followers aren't taken seriously. The world does not highly regard their opinions, no matter how well-founded and wise they may be. This idea that the majority is always right, and that just because it's the law, it must be just, it's absurd. The majority can be fickle and wrong and downright dangerous. Don't look for safety. Don't look for affirmation in the majority. the majority. Regardless of the views of the majority, truth needs to be heard. And truth lovers need to stand and proclaim that truth, regardless of the consequences. You are called to be a witness of Christ. 
to give God-honoring warnings to your neighbors and encouragement to your co-workers and family. Every Christian is called to be a light on a hill. It matters not how they treat you for it. The church is to be a faithful witness to God's glory and not to be concerned about its own welfare or being respected by the world. The majority will often be against you if you are in Christ. Now verse 13, the south wind, it blows softly. And they take this as a good sign. It's just what we've been waiting for. Here's our chance. Let's do it. Everything seems right for their plans to sail and try to reach a better harbor further on and winter there. And so they head off into danger with this false sense of security. Everything seems right. It feels good. But oh, how quickly things can change. Verse 14, all of a sudden the fair south winds, they vanish. We hear about them no more. The skies darken. The winds begin to swirl and bite. The ship is tossed about like a little bottle on the waves. It's impossible to keep going. They lose control of the ship and just let it drive. These are typhoon force winds swirling about. Earlier in the day, everything looked right. Now, before the day is through, these men are reduced to trembling and fear. They had just been driven along by the raging waves. They're completely at the mercy of God. Will they see the morning come? Nobody knows. In verse 16 and 17, the situation gets worse. It's so bad, the mindset shifts towards just staying alive, just surviving. It no longer matters where they go, where their destination is, as long as they reach, by chance, by good fortune, dry land. Any dry land will do. You will find yourselves in crisis situations. Situations that are out of your control. Now, it's true that people have a strong tendency, people, not you, but other people, (laughs) have a strong tendency to get themselves in trouble, into sticky situations, into agonizing situations through their bad choices. Right? But sometimes, however, the sky will turn black, the lightning will strike, the winds will blow you off course through no fault of your own. Maybe it's some worldwide virus that strikes, you lose your health, your husband gets laid off, Someone may have falsely accused you and you find yourself in court or behind bars. How many people in this day and age have their whole world come tumbling down on them in a moment when they come home from work and find that their spouse has been unfaithful? Catastrophes, they strike, that's what they do. You might be on your way to church with your family in the car and you get T-boned at an intersection. In a moment, in just a fraction of a moment, People's lives tend to change. The gentle south winds were blowing, and all was well with the world, and now you're facing the storm. And you're just hanging on for dear life. You don't know if you're going to make it or not. You don't know if you're going to drown or not. Is this whole ship going down? Is it going to take me with it? You wonder, will I ever smile again? Will I ever love again? Such is life. Many of the feeling. And if you don't, you will, or your loved ones will. You're not strangers to calamity. These are feelings, these are circumstances that are common to all mankind. Fear, doubt, confusion, panic, darkness. The ship is shaking, it's creaking, 
It's flexing and about to bust into pieces. And somehow they manage to bind the ship together with huge ropes by literally passing them from one side to the other underneath the vessel and cinching it together to keep it from falling apart. Imagine for a moment that you're on a flight, a flight across the Rockies. You hit some turbulence. The plane starts shaking. It starts dropping. It's a tense situation. You look out the window. The wings are just like bouncing up and down there. It seems to you they're about to just rip right off. People start panicking. There's screams. The oxygen masks fall. The pilot comes on. Tells you to put your seatbelt on. Expect a crash landing. This is a moment of just terror. It's a similar moment to the one that they were experiencing, except Paul and his companions are in this dragged out, prolonged agony all day, all night. This is the kind of fear and suspense that at any moment you could die, and it just drags on and on. They do everything they can to keep the ship from capsizing. They throw overboard all the gear, all the furniture, all the cargo. Everything extra is off the ship. It's gone. The only things left are what is absolutely needed for survival. And they spend many days in this adrenaline-fueled suspense and fear. You can imagine that they're drenched to the core. They're cold. They're shivering. They're scared. They're weak. It says, neither sun nor stars has been seen for many days. They have absolutely no idea where they're at, where they're heading, and if they'll get there. And Luke poignantly sums up the situation with these few words. All hope that we would be saved was lost. And then comes verse 21, the beginning of Paul's address to the men aboard the ship. By this time, many days had gone by. It must have felt like an eternity. What strength could possibly be left? They hadn't eaten. They probably hadn't slept or even hoped of ever seeing land again for days. This is the moment of destiny. In this moment, a man of faith arises. And in the darkness, he speaks forth words of life. Men, You should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now, now I urge you to take heart, to be of good cheer, right? For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar and indeed... God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. Paul says to them, Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. He isn't bashful, but bold and confident. He doesn't dare offer them some false hope, his own opinions, or tell them that he has a great plan and he's got everything under control. No. He comes to them and offers them the one thing that can sustain life. The one thing that can give hope to the hopeless. A word from God. 
I urge you to take heart, to have high spirits, good morale, to be of good cheer, to take heart. Why is it that you should take heart? Because you're strong? Because you're young and healthy? Because bad things don't happen to good people? Because of some vague idea, faith, that, that uh, everything's going to be okay? No. No. Take heart because the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, He has spoken. And it will be just as he said. If he said, I will stand before Caesar, well, then neither storm, nor fire, nor sword, nor death could possibly keep me from making my way and standing before him. If God said it, it will come to pass. It matters absolutely not what storm, what beast, what famine, what disease, what calamity may stand in your way and roar and threaten to devour you. The word of the Lord The maker of heaven and earth has gone forth. It is easier for the mountains to tumble into the sea and for the oceans to dry up than it is for the word of God to fail. If God has said that he has granted me all your lives, well, then all your lives will be saved. So take heart, smile, rejoice, be cheerful. The Lord has spoken in your favor. Now go and make it happen. Gather your spirits, eat, gather your strength, embrace the storm to do what needs to be done. I believe God, he says. Church, this is what a hopeless and frightened world is literally dying to hear from you. From you. Not just to hear, but to hear from you. Will you stand and offer them life? Will you change their destiny? Stand and proclaim and show that you believe God, that it will be just as he has spoken. Indeed, all hope was lost. These were dead men. But then God sent a word. He didn't calm the storm and then calm their hearts. No, first he visits them in their trouble and speaks to them to calm their troubled hearts. Why? Why is this the case? Why didn't he just calm the storm? Because it's the word of God that brings peace, not your circumstances. Did you hear that? It's the word of God that brings peace, not circumstances. Can you trust his word before it comes to pass, knowing that he is faithful? Your God is a firm foundation. Each of his words will stand forever. They are more secure than the secret safes of Fort Knox, purer than the gold within them, sweeter than honey and stronger than death. Heaven and earth were created by the word of his mouth. The seas and the fields were filled with their teeming creatures of all kinds by the power of his lips. He commanded the wind and the waves And those stars and that sun that you haven't seen these last two weeks, He is their creator and commander. He holds your life in His hands. It is His wind in your face. His waves tossing your ship. And it's His air in your lungs. And His water in your cup. If He says it, it will be. And He has said that I will see Caesar. And that He has granted your lives. Therefore, take heart. That's the reason He has said it. And I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told to me. 
Now imagine for a moment that you are an all-powerful father. Having the wisdom to make correct decisions. Having complete knowledge, seeing the end from the beginning. Having the strength to move mountains and put them in their place. Being ever-present there and here at all times. Having perfect and pure love. How safe would your children be? Hmm? What would they have to be afraid of? To worry over? How confident, nay, how cheerful would they be in the face of life's calamities? In the midst of any outbreak? In the bottom of any sinking ship? In the ICU of any hospital? In the office of any failing business? How confident, how cheerful would the children of such an amazing father be? Knowing that they're all, their very life, their health, their happiness, their future, their dreams, rest secure in his hands. When has God's word ever fallen to the ground? When has it ever misled and let you down? Is not your God the God who said in the darkness, let there be light, and there was light? Is not your God the God who told Noah to build a giant ark? How strange that must have sounded to him. What a crazy thing to do. But sure enough, the Lord knew what he was doing and what he was talking about. And Noah was faithful to the word that God spoke to him. And when the floods came, God took care of him and his family. And he brought them through, saving their souls and prospering them. Is not your God the God who said to Abraham, I'll make you a great name, a great father, a great nation will come from you? But wasn't Abraham old? Didn't he have an old wife and no children? But God told Abraham, and he told him to look into the heavens, to see the stars, and to count them if he could, and to know that his descendants would be just as uncountable. And you know what? Here you are today. You, the children of Abraham, descendants of his faith, innumerable, glorious, and part of God's everlasting church throughout the world and throughout time. It was your God, was it not, who sent his word to Moses and told him, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And did he not do it? Did he not bring them out of Egypt with a mighty hand? Yes, he did. And even when the people were pursued by Pharaoh as they left and faced a sure slaughter, did God not send his messenger Moses to them to say, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And was it not so? 
how he delivered his children. That very hour, God did the impossible for his children. He parted the seas and he led them through on dry land. And as soon as they had crossed, he took those seas and he crashed them down on their enemies and they watched them die, never to see them again. And time and time again, he reassures them saying, be strong, be courageous, I am with you. You see, the reason for being cheerful in uncheerful times, the reason for having good spirits and taking heart when things seem crazy, is not some vague idea of, oh, well, you know, God is good, or God is kind, He's just, or, you know, He's got everything under control. Yes, and amen, I say to that, that is true. But the reason given is that God said something, something concrete, something that can be believed in and relied on. Why? Because it is God who spoke it, and his word has never failed. The reason is not the preacher said, or I heard somebody on the radio say, but because God said, and his word is true. It is sure, and you can be sure of it. It is unshakable, and you can build an unshakable life upon it. There is no uncertainty in God. He is altogether reliable, altogether dependent, uh, dependable, altogether faithful. So if he says you will make it out alive, you will make it out alive. And that's great news. That's the, the best and, and, and the only reason to have cheer and to stop panicking and to start living. This is all based on a concrete word from God, from a holy God who is not like weak, flaky, sinful, lying men. He does not, cannot lie. He hates lies. He loves the truth. His word is an expression of his very being. That's why it's firm and solid and mighty. So cast your life upon the word of God in every circumstance, no matter how bright or hopeful or dark and hopeless it may seem. When you stand on the word of God, it is impossible for you to come to shame. It is impossible for you to come to shame standing on the promises of your God. So take heart. That's the reason. Take heart. Be of good cheer. For I believe God that it will be just as I was told. Do you live in such a way that from time to time you need to explain your actions to people saying, because I believe God when he says such and such? Is this something you ever preach to yourself? You say, self, be of good cheer for I believe in God. Self, be of good cheer. You know it will be just as it was told you. Is this something you ever say to your spouse? To your neighbors or coworkers? Is this something you say to your children? When they have nightmares and come to you scared, do you tell them for the hundredth time that there's no monster in their closet? Or instead, do you say, take heart, little one, for we belong to God. And he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. I believe him that it will be just as he said, that he will fight for you. He says, I leave my peace with you. 
They need to hear you say this. They need to see your peace, your courage, and your cheer in the midst of turbulent times. People are desperate. Many are hopeless, and, and many more are hanging on to a false hope. And they're barely hanging on, and they don't know what tomorrow will bring, and it bothers them. It might be the end of them. And they're suffering silently. They need somebody. They need someone to stand in their midst and inspire them to be of good cheer. Not with cute sayings and cliches, but by saying, I believe God, the God who created me and owns me and whom I love to serve. People all around you desperately need to be visited by an angel. A messenger from God, a servant of God that comes to them in the night and proclaims to them the life-giving word of God. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Will you be that person, that preacher who brings glad tidings and has beautiful feet? What a difference. What a difference. Just one man of faith, one woman of faith, one child of faith can have. What a mighty effect one person can have. One person who knows that they belong to God, that their life, their all is in his hands. Such an ambassador of God has the power to change, to influence, to direct the eternal destiny of his fellow men. Brothers and sisters, choose this day. Choose this day to stand in Christ in the midst of life's storms, in the darkness, and be a light by saying, I belong to God. I am His servant. I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. And then go and act it out. But of course, to do that, you need to know And you need to cherish what God has spoken to you. What is it that He has said to you that you believe in, that dictates your ideas and your emotions and your habits? What is it that God has given to you, that God has spoken to you, that gives you power and a desire to live a holy life? Does He not say concerning those who believe, I have chosen the offspring of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Has he not declared, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed? Was it not he who said, I am the light of the world? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Does Jesus not command you, saying, let not your hearts be troubled? Believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. 
Does he not give his word, his solemn word saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. That's the same Lord who spoke the world into being. Was it not Him, the Almighty, who spoke and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Some of you are so weary and downtrodden. Have you forgotten? Do you not know that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed? Praise God. Free indeed. How sweet, how precious, how strong are the promises of God to His people. Have you not heard Him say to you, Come, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come to me. Surely, surely, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Mm. Well, maybe you're concerned in this time of uncertainty, of corrupt godless, oppressive governments, what they're going to do, giving themselves new authority and whatnot. Do you not know what the Word of God says? That the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will? Are you concerned about your health? Do you have aging parents? Growing medical bills that you have no idea how you're going to pay? Am I going to have enough money to pay the rent next month? Am I going to get the virus? Is there going to be food at the store? Am I going to be a burden to my loved ones in the end? Now, these are the questions of our age. But beloved, what does your brave young Savior have to say about the matter? That's what's important. Doesn't he say, do not be anxious about your life? What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He asks you, which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? He says to consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, he says, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, he says. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. And you, your heavenly Father, you have a heavenly Father, and He knows, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do we have any reason to doubt him when he says this? Has your household been thrown into confusion lately? Through the quarantine, are your kids home from school and you're scrambling for childcare? Are you beginning to homeschool and feeling inadequate and stressed or overwhelmed? Turn to the word of God. 
It never fails. He speaks to you to lift you up, to give you instruction. Are you a child? He has a word for you. He says, children, obey your parents. Are you a parent? He has a word for you. He says, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. His wisdom says to raise up your children in the way that they should go and they will follow it. He commands you to instruct your children. Then he promises that he will be with you. And to the church, he says, bear one another's burdens. Cast yourself upon God. Listen to his words. Be comforted and built up by them. There is no fear that will overtake a child of God who is standing on the promises of God. There is no fear that can overtake such a child. Oh, church, throw yourself upon the precious promises. Throw yourself upon them. Attach yourself to them. Plug into them. Juice up. Fuel up and stand up. The scriptures declare that God has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He gives them to you for a reason so that you can arm yourself with them and be victorious and have good cheer. God has spoken to you. Is that the reason for your actions? Because God said. Does that thought spur you on to actually do something, to live in a certain way? What evil deeds don't you do Because you believe the word of God. What don't you worry about? Because you believe the word of God. What are you not panicking about? What sin are you fleeing from? Because you believe the word of God and belong to him. God says the wages of sin is death. Do you believe that? Does it help you to steer clear of that sin and run away from it as if it would actually kill you, as if the word of God was actually true? Some of you are scared of the virus. I sympathize. But what you need to be scared of is sin and the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. At the sound of his voice, The winds and waves stood still. On his command, the fishermen threw in their nets and drew up a bounty too big for their boat. By his word, the demons fled. By his word, the sick were healed, the blind received sight. And by his word, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is the word of God promising to you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Oh, and he will draw near to you. He will draw near to you. Oh, brothers, sisters, be encouraged. Take heart. Be of good cheer. There is great reason for it because the Lord your God has spoken. And and he's left you a whole book in black and white. His words written down in plain English for you. Listen to the Lord and find peace. Find great strength in his words. Tell you gold and silver, stocks and bonds, insurance and sidearms cannot bring you life nor keep your life. But the word of God, oh the word of God, if you cling to him, he will bring you 
safely and soundly and happily home to your great God, to your loving Savior, to your beautiful and strong and courageous Jesus, who said, who said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Here at Faith and Victory, we love to invite people to take part in that invitation of Jesus. He says, come to me, come to me. I have overcome the world. And he offers himself to you. I beseech you, the word of God beseeches you, the church begs you, encourages you. (laughs) Come to the Lord Jesus. Take heart. Be of good cheer. The Lord Jesus has spoken to you. Will you respond to it? Lord, have mercy. I thank you so much for speaking to us. Who are we that you would come, that you would lower yourself and come to us, to make yourself known to us? Pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see you as beautiful, that you would open our ears to hear your word, that you would give us a a heart of flesh, no stony hearts, our hearts of flesh that want to hear from you, that want to take that word and live by it. Oh God, that we would find strength and purpose and hope in your word, in your word alone. Thank you, Lord. Have mercy on us. These things we pray in the name, in the mighty, mighty name of our brave young Savior, Jesus. Amen.